Hello and welcome to episode 34 of the Ski Instructor Podcast. My name is Dave Burrows and I'm the Director and Owner of Snowbro Ski School based here in the Port de Soleil in Switzerland. Hope you're all well. Um, ski season has come to a close here in uh, the Port de Soleil. Uh, the lift shut uh, on Sunday um, and uh, yeah, it's it's all gone gone very, very quiet around here. Um, Switzerland's carrying on with its programme of kind of trying to get back to normal after this whole COVID thing and on Monday restaurants and bars are opening and uh, and uh, you can sit outside in the freezing cold and have a coffee outside. Um, sporting activities are generally um, starting to open up as well. So uh, signs of progress there from, um, from, from Switzerland after what has been frankly quite a difficult winter. Um, so our, our, although we've had, we've actually had quite a good winter. A lot of our clients are local and, and we ski with them. Um, you know, it's not like we're mega reliant on tourist, um, tourist skiers. Um, but the actual experience on mountain experience, I think the mountains have missed a lot of people for, for certain subset of skiers where the lunch and everything is quite important to them. Um, sitting out in the sunshine and, and having something nice to eat is part of their skiing experience. And a lot of people have missed that. And a lot of people just, you know, what we've had on the mountain this year, are the, the you know, the mega keen skiers, we haven't had the people, um, really who are coming for sort of more of what you would say leisure. I don't think um, there's something, you know, I, I certainly remember a couple of days with the school, you know, in January and it's minus 16 here in, in, in the Port de Soleil. And it was, it was extremely tricky to keep groups of kids, you know, warm uh, when they're having to uh, sit outside and eat a picnic and stuff. And, and that was, um, that was, they, they, they were quite difficult times this season, but uh, we've done all right. Everyone's managed to get through a, um, a whole season. And that is something that I certainly wasn't really personally expecting um in November when it all looked quite bleak here um I know that experience hasn't been the same for our colleagues in the other alpine countries so you know certain regions of the, the US certain regions of Canada I know you've had some difficulties the same for France Italy Austria you know it's just not been normal and, and I think really given well my own personal view is that what what the government's done there with leisure and skiing is just criminal it's it's outrageous um, you can't just shut down people's businesses like that, um, especially when you know it's outdoors, right? And and uh, yeah, never mind. I, it just just winds me up that. But um, yeah, so uh, the snow is snow is still good actually. Like I, I I did have the option to go to Verbier today, but I've arrived at that point in the season where I just don't want to put ski boots on anymore. Something of a sort of burnout. I've worked quite a lot this winter, and and I just. Just don't fancy it anymore, and it kind of it's a weird feeling that I feel a bit guilty um, that I should be skiing, you know. Um, but actually, the last thing I want to do is put boots on and go skiing. So I suppose I should listen to that that intuition and uh, and and maybe just knock it on the head for the season, and then come back to it in July um, once the Sasfe Glacier opens. Um, this week I have an interview for episode thirty four. I have an interview with Alessandro Cambon. Uh, some of you may know Ali, lovely, lovely guy, and I took the opportunity to go to Villar and interview him um, at his place that looks out over over the mountains uh, on the Vaux side uh, of Switzerland. Um, in this, well, Ali has previously um, well has has been working. I know I've known him since he was working at New Generation um, in Villar. Previously to that, in in Verbier, he's a lovely guy, basic trainer, level four, amazing skier. 
Um, and we talk a little bit about that, but in this first half, we mainly talk about pole vaulting, which uh, we talk about, a bit about pole vaulting, which is uh, Ali's other sport. Um, we also talk about um, uh, his sort of general, you know, how he's got to where he is. And, uh, and lastly, we, we talk a little bit about the role that he's just taken on within an international school um, and how that, how that works. So uh, enjoy this first half um, and I will catch you in the middle part. I've got some correspondence. Uh, Alessandro Kamal. Welcome to the Skin Instructor Podcast. How are you? Uh, I'm very well, thank you. Thank you for having me. Good. Welcome. Uh, thank you for welcoming me to your place. I've said this before, and the in-person ones are always the best ones. And we've taken a while to set this up, but I've come to your place here in Grillon, just next to Villar, and your front room has like this enormous picture window that looks out onto, <laughs> what's that, the backside of Diablerie? Uh, uh, so that's the move run. Yeah. And then on the right, you've got the Don du Midi. Yeah. Yeah, Don du Midi is my home mountains, and yeah. you can see them from a different angle here. Really cool. And down into the valley, into Monte, and uh, what's that show over there, maybe? Uh, yeah. Yeah. So. But beautiful. Absolutely beautiful. Yeah. yeah. Thank you. Beautiful spot. And uh, yeah, this is the kind of, if I was back living alone again, this is the kind of <laughs> cabin in the woods kind of feel that I'd be after. Definitely. <laughs> Definitely. Um, so I'm, I'm here. I've seen you around and about in uh, Villa this season. I've seen you a few years previously, actually, because you've been up there doing Basie stuff and That's various right. other bits and pieces. Um, but I know you've just stepped into a new role with one of the international schools up here. So yeah. I thought it would be an opportune time to, to have a chat with you. Um, not, we'll, we'll come to the school stuff later on. But I think we always start on these podcasts, it's a bit repetitive, but we always start with like, how did you get into skiing? How did you get to these rarefied heights of, you know, full cert, you know, basic trainer? How, how, you know, what was your skiing journey? Were you, did you start young or how was it? Yeah, so I started uh, fairly young, but I started just as a tourist, let's say, as uh, someone who didn't have the ambition to be a ski racer or a ski instructor, nothing like that. So my path was pretty normal, let's say, uh, up until 23, 24, that's where I started. Okay. So I started quite late. Um, before that, I uh, actually did a bit of an unusual sport. I was a, I was a pole vaulter. I was no a, way. <laughs> so I, I did pole vault for, um, for a very long time. And then three years I was professional. In uh, in Italy, you need to join like a military force. So I was in the air force for three years doing that as my job, essentially. No way. Yeah, <laughs> that's crazy. Really? Yeah. Now, you, well, hang on. We're already going to tangent off. Then you're going to have to tell me more about pole vaulting. <laughs> like, how do you even? How do you even get into it? Like, like, because with the full pole vault, right? You're going up like six, six. And yeah, I wish I wish I went well, up six meters. <laughs> I don't know what like the record five. is. Yeah, still a long way off the ground. But how do you even learn to hang on the pole? Like, how does it? What, what's the? Uh, presumably, there's a, like a learning method. Yeah, it's, so it's, it's quite a long process to get to actually bend the pole and then use longer poles. But essentially, you start from uh, wooden poles or bamboo, and then you learn the technique of taking off. 
and then at the beginning they don't bend at all right and then you make your run up a little bit longer uh, you hold the pull a bit higher and then eventually there's that turning point where the, the pull starts to bend because of yeah. weight uh, and then the game there is just to try and be, uh, use bigger poles um, run faster and hold the pull higher so that projects you a bit higher in the sky so wow. it's, it's a very re- repetitive you know we're talking about yeah, repetition yeah, yeah. it's a very repetitive sport so there's a lot that goes into the, the technicality of it wow yeah and uh, is it a question of so the higher you go is it a, que- is it a blend of speed and technique yeah so it, it's you know we train as sprinters um, gymnasts so there's a lot of gymnastics involved as well you know mm-hmm. controlling your body up in the like air in spatially exactly yeah and then long jumpers as well because there's the element of taking off the ground so you've got all of that wow but it's uh yeah it's an amazing sport it's, it's a bit of a weird one you know there's not that many it's, people that do it yes yeah. uh, that's incredible it's, it's uh yeah and i still love it I still do it uh, when i can so yeah 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 i've got a little club here in martini actually i train with i yeah. found them during lockdown <laughs> last summer and I started training with them, and uh, yeah, it's brilliant. I love it. They're all young. They're all like twenty years younger than me, but <laughs> I still, uh, still really enjoy it. Tell me about um, just before we jump back into skiing. Tell me about sprint training because I'm really, really interested in that. One of the ways that I keep fit, fit is a is a very loose term yeah. because I'm kind of not as fit <laughs> as I used to be by any means. Not not like you, but I've always. For years, I followed a, a, a method of kind of eating certain foods. So eating foods that don't agree, agree not eating foods that don't agree with me, uh, within a fairly narrow uh, corridor for for foods. But the the other bit that I would blend that with would be strength training. Yeah. Um, and interval sprints. Yeah. And interval sprints are incredibly good for you. Yeah. Like they switch on a whole bunch of stuff. And for someone like me with a very short attention span for exercise, <laughs> you can get your work. Like if you watch like real sprinters train, mm. they don't do that much. They turn up, do a bit of stretching. You know, they might do three or four full gas runs, and then they'll go home. Yeah, like it takes twenty minutes or something. You know what? Well, twenty minutes the way I do it. But there is, I think you can get a huge amount of benefit, can't you, from kind of interval sprint and sprint training? Yeah. So, so you asking whether that. Then helps the scheme, or no, no, not necessarily. Fitness. Just in general, is yeah, that yeah. is that how you train? Like, so the sprinting part of your training, presumably you weren't yeah. doing that much endurance stuff. No, not at all. It not was all explosive. It's all explosive, and uh, uh, yeah, very little endurance. Actually, I hated endurance until yeah, you <laughs> get get getting a bit older. I think that's when people yeah, yeah. tend to turn a bit more into that. But uh, yeah, there's a lot of sprinting. Um, and uh, yeah, inter- interval training is an interesting one. Uh, I mean, without going to to technical, also because my, my knowledge is limited in the sense that I'm not. Yeah. You know, I used to have a coach, and he would tell me what mm. to do. I now train. I still train a little bit. I go more with the feeling and sensation of it, what what I've done in the yeah. past. But interval training is it's great because it, it develops a speed. Mm. But at the same time, interval depends how you do it. If you run slowly back then you're actually developing a little bit of uh, endurance in itself. So yeah. it's a good method of developing 
speed and a bit of endurance. Mm. So um, I definitely actually did it before meeting you this morning. I was up in the field doing a bit of training and I did Hill exactly sprints. that. Hill sprints. Yeah. Oh yeah. my God. <laughs> Worst thing ever. No, I, so I would go, when I lived in Chateau, there was a football pitch there. Yeah. And I would, so I would do six and six. So it would be six half pitch sprints right at 50% walk back yeah six to warm up and then the most I ever got to was seven but it was was seven or six or seven full 100% gas sprints yeah 50 or 60 but half a football pitch basically walk back every time took about like say 20-25 minutes but the the, the effects that it gave you like you were just buzzing right. for the rest of the day it's absolutely <laughs> unbelievable yeah you know and it's I think it's widely underused you see the you see so many people kind of flogging themselves up and down the hills here on bikes and oh, yeah. stuff like that and I just oh, I don't know where they don't know for me exercise I'm, like, I'm happy to do it in that format you know yeah absolutely it's uh I think I think with pole vault is it's quite specific in the sense that you all you're trying to do is to run as fast as you can for a very mm. short space. Yeah. So I think um, interval training is used quite a lot away from a competition season and then you just to build up resistance and get yeah, your body yeah. used to it. But then the more you get close to the competition, actually you do what you were saying earlier, you know, sprinters just to maybe four full gas. Yeah. Then with a lot of resting so that mm. you, it's almost like, a, uh, you know, refining a bit of, Formula One, you know, you yeah, don't want yeah, to yeah. do too much, yeah. but very high quality. Yeah. Huh. Mm. Amazing. Yeah. How long's the run up? In uh, so full run up when I was younger, yeah. <laughs> I could hold that. <laughs> it was about 35, 40 meters. Oh, yeah. wow. Yeah, so 16, 18 steps. Yeah. Oh, that's quite a long way. Carrying yeah. a pole. Carrying it? a pole, yeah. Now I'll do 12. So it's about 25 meters. Yeah. And there, is there an element of strength? Oh, I'm demonstrating as an audio podcast. As you as you go up on the pole, presumably there's an element of core strength and body strength that you need to hold yourself right in place to go up because yeah. you're actually upside down at some point. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So the, there's the phases we we talk about. There's a run up, the mm. takeoff part, which is really a key part because uh, you need to transfer that energy of the running and the takeoff onto the pole. Yeah. Uh, then once you've got your feet off the ground then you're just holding onto the pole and then there's a technique for which you, you keep the bend, the pole bent and then you put yourself upside down and then you, again, uh, try to keep that position until you get projected over the, the bar. Yeah. So all these are the, the, the phases that we really work on and, and each of one is very specific. Um, wow. Yeah, so the core, the arms, the, the shoulder strength, those all... Really important for that final part of the after the takeoff, yeah. Amazing, it's so specialized, <laughs> very, very specialized. That's brilliant. Um, okay, cool. So, you were pole vaulting, you were presumably you were skiing in your leisure time as well. I was always skiing, I, I come from relatively close to the mountain. Where are you from? I'm from Varese, which is an hour north of Milan. I've been there, it's lovely. I've been there, yeah. Oh, you're not a rower then. I'm another roar. Well, there's like a big lake there, isn't it? Yeah, <laughs> loads of roars. Too small. Yeah. And um, so, yeah, but like I said, I skied during holidays, weekends, uh, holidays with my family. We'd go away very often to the Dolomites, mm-hmm. Vigo di Fassa, Selva di Valgardena. That was a bit the, the thing. 
Um, I'm cutting the story a little bit, <laughs> there, but but then I went away. I went to university in the UK. Actually, I studied in Wales. For, yeah. So I did graphic design over there. Oh. And then, and whilst I was there, I was still pole vaulting. Actually, I trained a lot with at UIC, the Cardiff. They have okay. a big center over there. Yeah. Came back from that. Uh, pole vault for another three years in the Air Force, like I was saying. Mm. And then once I finished, I thought, right, what am I going to do now? I'm 23, don't know. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know, I've done all this sport, but I always had this passion for the mountains. And then um, did a couple of seasons actually working for uh, British companies in Livigno mm. and in uh, La Plan for Ingham's, you know, the oh, tour. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So that was my kind of liaise, my link to the British world already, you know, yeah, university yeah. there, then working for a company. And um, and that's how I then thought, oh, okay, maybe ski instruction could be a thing. Yeah. Um, met someone who talked about Basie. Okay. Um, which sounded pretty good. At the beginning, I didn't even know yeah. uh, that you had to do all these modules. I thought, okay, I'll do one week. I'll be a ski instructor. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't quite realize. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Uh, I loved it from the start. Uh, had great trainers along the way. Really good atmosphere in all the courses. And for me, it was just a good way of doing sport, staying this international environment mm. uh, in the mountain with a very supportive. I always felt really supportive. I think for me, it was really the key. You know, I, I think sometimes. Um, when you do a, a sport like that, like pole vault or skiing in Italy, it can be a, v- a very uh, coaching, quite a, quite hard sport. Whereas I felt basically it was a much more relaxed uh, environment. So to me, uh, it worked out really well. Oh, okay, that's good. I think the Swiss environment is even more relaxed than the Bayesian environment. You? Yeah, yeah, I love it. But it, uh, it's, um, I suppose each, each system has its own thing. I imagine if you we finally get around to interviewing French person from the ESF, they'll probably say the same thing, yeah. brotherhood or whatever, you know. But uh, I think I was lucky with the trainers I had. The trainers I had were set up this really cool atmosphere. I'm still friends with them now. Yeah, I? yeah. So definitely that. Okay. And so you, here's a question for you. When I went, so I did my original British level one and two, and I did them over a summer on a Warren Smith gap. Yeah, yep. in Sasfay. I spent nine weeks in the summer, Sasfay. Wow. Don't recommend it. <laughs> <laughs> it was, well, no, the first five weeks, fine, but then, you know, you start to develop, you go a bit stir crazy in Sasfay, you know, yeah. it's like it's like the end of the world. And um, I thought, I, and I'm not sitting here trying to blow my own trumpet, right? This is not me saying, oh, you know, being Billy Bo- Big Bollocks and saying, oh, I'm brilliant at skiing, but I. I realised in the first week or so that my level of recreational skiing, so what I was doing without having been largely self-taught, yeah. was probably going to be good enough for the level one and two already. Yeah. And I didn't know that going in. Um, so the rest of the kind of the, what would you call it, like seven weeks that I was there was kind of polishing and, and you know teaching seemed to come fairly naturally sure. to me. How well, how was how was that for you? So when you were going for your sort of one and two, what was your level of sort of general skiing like? You know that you'd built up over the years on those all those family trips and yeah. stuff like that. What what? 
What, um, did you have to change a lot? I suppose is what I'm saying. I, I had to change a lot. I I always thought I wasn't very very good, mm. um, because again, I think when you do a a sport like that and you're always competing, you always think, oh, you know, I need to do more, I need to do more. So I think my expectation was really high level, and even going through level one and two, I was always a bit like, oh, it's gonna be good enough. Yeah. I think the advantage I had was having done a sport before, having trained many years. Yeah. Physically, I was maybe a bit more... I understood my body a little bit better. Yeah, for sure. Or... A, and... Um, well, certainly how to control it, right? Yeah, in space control, and time. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. But I definitely... Yeah, I was... You know, I look at some photos and videos of back in the days, I thought, oh my God. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. 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 Oh, there's no escaping time. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Okay, so you weren't... So to get through those initial exams, the one and the two, you didn't really have to... You didn't have to change much? Do you remember all this? Uh, no, I, I, I remember, you know, in a specific, I, I remember I used to, and I still do, really like to put a ski on an edge and just, you know, press down and feel the power coming yeah, out. Yeah. That's my thing, I think. Okay. Um, although with age again, I, did, I had to <laughs> tone it down. But uh, I think for me, it was always the ro- rotary skills for me was always the, the one that I had to work a lot more yeah. to get better at. Um, for sure the off-piste and the bumps was something that a classic Italian I didn't really do much of yeah yeah, um, yeah so I had to work quite quite a bit afterward to do it um, well in my head anyway I had to really work hard and um, and now I, I, I love it it's probably the, the thing I love the most actually bumps bumps and off-piste me too I mean bumps is, is always this love-hate relationship but I sort of seek out bumps now it's really odd yeah like I knew, I'm the same I never used to like them but I've got now the other thing I'm really into, which I know is now going to be a thing for next year. You will have seen the skis on the top of the car. So I've put a telemark binding on the top of a 27 meter radius GS ski. Oh, wow. And it's awesome. <laughs> <laughs> like, it's, it, it, I was skiing yesterday down a piste, uh, the Edifago run, for those who know it, in, in Morjan. And I just got like the right snow with the right ski. And the right kind of thing, and I was like, "This, this is what I want to do, all the time, all the time." I found it like a thing. Excellent. So, uh, so that's the next rabbit hole that I'm going down. It's telemark skiing because I just I, I love the feeling of it. What I don't, I don't really don't like about alpine skiing is how it goes. It's it's mostly about performance. Mm. Do you know what I mean? Like it's all about. It's turned into with short relatively short like really uh curved edge skis yeah a lot of it is about kind of power and performance these days and angles yeah and i feel within that the the there's a there's a sort of a lost how do you call it like a lost thing about like personal expression and individual right. style and that's what really appeals to me with telemark there's no real way of doing it it's a bit more free. Yeah, it is. Mm. And there's, there's much more room for kind of, I don't know, like trying to blend how you move with the mountain. Yeah. So I sound like a right hippie, don't I? <laughs> <laughs> but it's like totally against like what I imagine when you turn up for like things like the Basie Trainers Conference and stuff. A lot of it is about performance and showing what you can do. Yeah, y- yes and no. I think uh, it's really interesting you ask this question because I just came back from three days working in Italy with... Uh, um, one of the you know they've got this regional uh college where they 
within the region they run their own instructor courses yeah and um, a bunch of us were called in to help out with uh, um, you know teaching the 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 new Italian instructors how to deal with British clientele oh really uh, it was an amazing experience well, the, fantastic day. I'm now now that's <laughs> another, right come on then you've got to yeah, sorry me. so I'm going off on a tangent no, here, but I'll bring it back that's fine. <laughs> but essentially their system is is very much about that is very much about uh, precise movement performance so um, I think I th- picking up from what you said earlier you know it could be seen a little bit of a uh, tunnel vision this is what yeah, we do yeah. and this is what we teach and that's where we go the, the reality is not like that but mm. that's the base the culture and that's where you know they come from having like big racing world cup background yeah so i think for us trainers going in there we figured that out pretty quickly actually made us realize actually with basie we um maybe we're not as strict in some of the technicalities of skiing but mm. we definitely try to give a slightly broader uh, f- formation and you know, we try to teach new instructors how to have a be more of a holistic view of, yeah, of yeah. skiing so yeah. we do piece we do off piece we do bumps um, which I personally love I think it's it, it's the core of what we do as well right and mm. not just for us but also for the clients you yeah. know clients that's what they want you want yeah. to have a set of skills that you can then share with your clients so yeah. But yeah, going back to the Italian thing, it was amazing, and we managed to share loads of ideas with these guys, and oh, cool. uh, fantastic time, really. Which region really is that? That's Piemonte. So, so Piemonte. forward thinking. Oh, unbelievable! Yeah. It's so forward thinking, and um, yeah, they uh, they've got a bunch of really nice, good young trainers coming through the Italian system and uh, through connection of friends. They thought, oh, why don't we do that this year? And we got pulled in and. Um, oh, really it was cool, uh, was really really interesting. Actually, it's got, just like a big sort of idea swap, or is it something that you're officially delivering as part of their formation? Yeah, it was officially delivered as part of their oh, formation. Cool. Yeah, through Basie or just like no, it thing? wasn't through Basie. Yeah, uh, but they clearly used some of like me Italian, but got experience with Basie. I don't know, you may know Simon Edwards, who is another half and half. No, I don't know. Uh, Dave Morris should, again, he's yeah. got a bit of of British but he's got yeah. his wife is Italian so all these people that kind of knew a little bit of how uh, the, the Italian system works they could speak the language and oh, wow. they could bring a bit of an experience of how British clientele works so oh, that's cool and I was really buzzing I came back on Friday thinking oh this is amazing yeah, our yeah. job is so cool that's brilliant <laughs> yeah, yeah that's absolutely. really good yeah. ah, what a great yeah. opportunity unbelievable opportunity uh, really um, yeah makes you makes you think how yeah, it's funny where skiing takes you, isn't it? Yeah, you absolutely. Know? Oh, cool. And so you, right, let's take you back because we're already yeah. here somewhere now. Yeah. Uh, the, so you got through, so you've done very all the modules, all of those out of the way. And then, so the lot, two or three years ago, yeah. we used to see each other on the piece because you were working with New Gen. That's right. And... That obviously did what it did. It's no longer in Villar, uh, for whatever reason. And hang on, before we get to there, I wanted to say something else. Actually, I'm going to go yeah. back over here to this yeah. thing. That One of the things that frustrates me a little bit about the Swiss snow sports stuff that they do for kids. I had this with some clients recently. 
So Max and uh, Max and Grant have been skiing all, all winter here on Saturday with uh, you would have seen them with uh, a bunch of little kids. Yeah. And they've also been doing some other stuff with the Red School, and the Red School is like, you know, they've got this little book, so you can't become like a Red King or whatever it yeah. is <laughs> without having ticked off all of these little things that you've got to be able to do. It's so Swiss. Yeah, you've yeah. got to be able to stamp all of these boxes. And it's, you know, one of the parents said to this, you know, could we focus a little bit on this? I was like, yeah, we can for sure. My guys, I know what they're doing. I know how they teach, and they're trying to teach in a in a like a, in a, a better way than that, mm. right? It's about saying to the kid, "Look, we're here in this situation. You might want to try this here because this will really, really help you." It's not like, "Can you do these things?" Sure. And you spend your whole Saturday going, "Oh no, no, you must be able to, you know, ski switch. Otherwise, we don't get a tick in this yeah. box." I don't know how many kids are into kind of holistic learning, but I would imagine they'd have a better time, you know, skiing about and discovering things for themselves and, and with the, you know, guided kind of discovery way rather than just going through a tick box exercise to get the next medal. Yeah. I don't know how many kids are motivated by that, but it, it, when you said that about, the, you know, the old, I say the old Italian way, it's nice to hear someone that's kind of saying, no, maybe there's a different way that we can teach stuff. Uh, and, and we see the same thing here on the mountain. You see all the, you know, the kids going through the things that they need to do to get their medal. It's like, well, can we just go skiing and learn some stuff? Yeah, yeah. Isn't there another way? Yeah. You know, going to have some fun, make yeah. it make it good, as opposed to like you've got to jump over this bar. Sure. With respect to you, no, no, no. You know, I know. Um, I, I think you're you're spot on there. I have to say, I think with the Swiss. Um, I work quite a bit now with both of them, and actually, I think they love everything about the mountain. Actually, mm. you know, to an extent, more than us. Yeah. But then they have this kind of booklet, like you say, it's almost like, um, okay, but this thing might help you or the kids to actually be better at those bits in the off bits on piece and so yeah. on. So, I see a lot of instructors using it. Yeah. But it's not like a dogma. It's not like a yeah, mantra yeah. they have to yeah. do all the time. So, I, I don't mind it actually. I, I find it quite quite a useful tool yeah mm. if it's not obsessive yeah we'll come back to that because you must see it from the inside with the work with the school right because you, you employ those guys and they come and teach your your kids um, yeah I, do, I don't employ them it's someone else I'm someone just, sorry but well, yeah you, you personally <laughs> yeah 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 okay um, so you've done the formation with Bayesley have you have you explored any of the other national systems in the Swiss, so I did the back in the days. I did the international conversion. Oh yeah, I believe okay. you yeah, done as well. Yeah, yeah. Um, so that's only three days. Yeah, and then just administration. I took the Italian, the French, simply yeah, to allow me to work there. But uh, I've learned more in the last three days about the Italian than <laughs> in my entire life, to be honest. <laughs> so yeah, apart from how to navigate the paperwork of the, uh, the yeah. Italian equivalent. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I'm with you. Okay. Oh, cool. Oh, that's brilliant. And that, so where were we? That got you here, you were here in, with New Gen. I know you were sort of zooming between here and Verbier, I think. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, so there's, there's no secret about us closing in Villar, you know, in, in New Gen. I think uh, we had five really good years. Um, we're a small school, we're like a work and train school. Yeah. Right? So getting instructors level two, level three, working towards the level three and four. And the point was to try and yeah get them through the levels whilst they were working in high season. Mm. Um, then after five years, you know, 
on a bit of a change, new gen, you know, pushing other projects as well as this. Mm. So we just decided together, but I'm still really, really good friends with the Ewan and Tom who runs yeah, new gen. Yeah. And I think it was a really good decision from both parts. Um, there you go. That was a very diplomatic. It's very In Villa, I, think, yeah. I don't think it's any secret, but they've got the biggest red ski school here in Switzerland, right? It's enormous. And it's quite hard, I think, to gain any traction here because it just, you know, the red school is like this enormous sort of, yeah. you know, borg that just absorbs everything that comes its way. Yeah. Um, you know, we know that from, from some of our work here. But the, the you know, you could, uh, you could see it. But actually out of that program... Um, we took well. We took Kurt on. Oh, of course you did. Kurt yeah, great guy. Years. Great guy. Great guy. Yeah. Kurt, if you're listening, uh, he's back in um, Bend, Oregon now. So yeah. he's retired. He still emails me occasionally. I know yeah. it's brilliant. He's having a great time, and he asked me for a reference. I sent him this reference to say, look, you know, I sent the nicest. Well, I sent the best reference I've ever sent to this because it was like he was trying to get uh, an instructor role with the. Whatever, wherever this place, uh, Mount Mount Bachelor, I think it is in Washington right. or something like that. He wanted to teach there, but they weren't hiring because of COVID or something. And I was like, I'll send something. I sent the best thing I could possibly send, and apparently they took him on. So I was like, oh, yes, great, <laughs> good, great. yeah, because he's like, you know, he's one of life's proper good guys. He loves it. He yeah. loves skiing. He does. And we still we still have people asking for him. Really? I'm like, well, oh, I haven't got cut this year, <laughs> but, you know, would you consider yeah. someone else? Oh. It's such a shame. But, uh, yeah, um, proper, you know, like, safe pair of hands, you know. It's like, yeah. shuck anything Solid. Absolutely solid. So, um, are you, so, you're, then, what happened after New Gen? So, where are you, what, how did you end up? At the international school at Beausoleil, yeah, in Villar, like, what was there anything in between? How did you jump from one to the other? Yeah, so the so when I, I became trainer, so uh, um, six seven years ago now, and then whilst I was here in Villar, I used the the, the basic training stations as well mm. to kind of run courses um, here locally. Yeah, and I got in touch with uh, the international schools. Um, and we started running uh, level ones for the students and the staff. Mm-hmm. So that's how we started with the relationship with uh, Bosole. Mm-hmm. And uh, so when I finished with Nugent, then I had a, a one-year transition where I just worked independently. Mm-hmm. I still worked for Nugent, so I was helping out with their instructor courses program across yeah, yeah. the Alps. Um, I still run a few independent courses for basic year level one the staff and students and then uh, it was very very random in a way at the end of uh, the summer towards the end of the summer uh, stayed in touch with um, one of the guy uh, a boss like Steve who's a great guy and mm-hmm. I, I sent him a message at SMS say hey is there anything <laughs> happening there uh, it was really kindly we met up discussed uh, what the role would be and that's mm-hmm. how we started so it was pretty quick uh, transition yeah okay so let's fill in the detail of that for, for those who don't know the internet. So here in Switzerland, all over the Alps and all over all over Switzerland, there are many, many international schools uh, where people come or send their kids to from all over the world to come. Now, as I understand, it's both, both like only boarding. Uh, only boarding they, no, they also have 
people that live locally. There are, okay, yeah. so there's day students. Day so some students, are, yeah. some, there are ones that are only boys, I, right? Yes. Um, yeah, I think there's is mainly uh, teachers, maybe yeah. kids that don't live in school. Yeah. Yeah. yeah okay. Yeah. And so you work at Beausoleil. Beausoleil is based here in Villar. It's one of the oldest, most expensive <laughs> international schools in Switzerland. I don't think it's the most expensive. Is that, is, I thought La Rose was the most expensive. I, I don't know. It's, it's pretty I close, as I understand. Somewhere. Yeah, yeah. There's a list. Um, and so the kids come here. They... You know, they're sort of slightly protected from the world because it's, you know, you're up here on the side of a mountain. They have a great education. And in the winter, they ski all the time. Like, all the time. Well, from, yeah. what, from what I've seen, yeah. you know, being yeah. up here. Um, so, what does your role entail within the school? Yeah. Are you, you're here year-round, right? Correct, yeah. Okay. So you're doing sport and so sport in summer and skiing mainly in the winter. Would that be right? Yeah, so I'm I'm in the outdoor education department. Mm-hmm. So I'm no I'm not in the P department. Okay. But the out so in autumn, the outdoor education is all about um, taking kids and in the mountains and yeah. showing them how it works. Yeah. So the basic skills from navigation to using crampons and rope work uh, we had a really cool uh, expedition in um, this autumn with, where we took every year group yeah. up either the Brighthorn yeah. uh, or the Alalenhorn or the or in, um, Diablere so 4,000 meters I saw those guys yeah. I wonder what you were doing yeah. it looked pretty serious oh it was serious I mean you're taking kids who've hardly seen snow some of them yeah. you know come from countries where they hardly seen snow yeah and you take them up at 4,000 meters that's crazy and um so it was two days the first day we did a via ferrata mm-hmm. and the second day was up the 4,000 meters i mean i have a short story but i had uh, one of the kid he i believe he comes from congo right. and uh we had a beautiful day in sasfe we managed to get to actually the top because clearly you don't always have the guarantee no, to get no, to the no. top we had perfect conditions. We got to the top of Alalenhorn, which is, you know, it's a pretty it's good serious. challenge. It's yeah, serious. Yeah, yeah. And um, we got to the top and he, he called his uh, <laughs> sister uh, oh, on what? WhatsApp and she could see from Congo. She was like screaming, oh my God, it's amazing. <laughs> and I, to me, that was a really yeah, good yeah. moment because I thought, oh, you know, what we do, it, it's oh, pretty amazing. Cool. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> the experience they, they get. We, so, we yeah. have that sometimes so we didn't do it this year but sometimes we have uh, school groups that come from overseas and one of the school groups that comes comes from Kenya and uh, once that you know they come a long way Nairobi to Zurich on the thing uh, on the coach for like three hours or whatever they get out in Mojan and there's like snow on the floor they're like Wah! literally just diving yeah. in it like, yeah. like, unbelievable <laughs> Yeah, can you imagine never having seen snow? It's crazy. Incredible. Incredible. It's absolutely crazy. And the, the level that those kids get to after just a week, you know, like it's amazing. Absolutely. Really, really amazing. Um, you know, like just skiing around, it's just so good. So good. Anyway, I'm sorry, I, I digress. Yeah. So, no, no, outdoor no. ed when you're not skiing. Outdoor ed when I'm not skiing, and then in winter, mm-hmm. uh, outdoor ed and the P department get together. Mm-hmm. 
and then uh, I depend. So I've got a boss in the P department, and I become a ski instructor for the for the department, and we um, run. So the, the the way it works is every day a mm. different year group goes out skiing. Yeah. Um, and normally we go out uh, all morning. Then we have um, lunch at the top of the mountain because mm-hmm. Bosley they have a, a little chalet. It's not that little actually. They have a chalet on on the slope, so yeah, they've got their own food up there, which actually worked out really really well yeah, for yeah. COVID you don't time. Don't lose any time, right? Exactly. Yeah. Uh, so uh, a really good resource to have. Yeah. And um, so so the minimum they would ski is one day per week. These mm-hmm. kids, but then. Within that program, you've got the off-piece club, the racing team, uh, and then just activities that are put on extra for the kids uh, to just give them a you know, multitude of experiences. And uh, I was chatting the other day, I actually thought, wow, this winter is probably the winter where I've done the most mm. crazy things I've ever done yeah. in 15 years of ski instructing. And we went heli-skiing to yeah. the Pindarola, we went ice-climbing, yeah. to Le Mans. I've been uh, ski touring so many different places than I've been before. Yeah. Skied in lots of different resorts. Uh, we went snowshoe, we did cross country. Uh, so if, for a personal experience, it was amazing, but yeah. it, clearly for the kids as well, they've got all these activities that they can choose and do. So it's a, it's, it's a brilliant, absolutely brilliant program. Yeah. And Okay, so let's say, so I'm a new international student. I've just come to the school. I don't know how to ski. So presumably at the start of every every winter, and I say winter because I was up, I saw you guys up in uh, in Diablo up in November when it, because it was open, That's right. open really early, That's year, right. didn't it? And so you guys were up there early yeah. as well yeah. uh, with us. Um, and presumably the ski program gets going at a certain point, but you've got then a real mix of abilities within even a year group, right? Yeah. One, I don't know, how big is the school has you got that? Um, it's 280, I think it oh, fluctuates. Wow. Okay. Um, a few more, a few less. I think maybe we even reached 300 at uh, one point, but don't quote me on that. I think yeah, it's yeah. around that number, yeah. All right. Yeah. And so then within each year group, you've presumably got different levels. Yeah. And you have to make a, what, an early season assessment of those levels and, and then... Presumably the kids have like flexibility to go up and down groups according to if they suddenly get good on. That's right. That's right. I think the uh, it's been a particular year. So I think, and, and it's my first year, so I can't compare it to before. Yeah. So I think the idea was to really try and go out as much as we could when we could and take every opportunity to avoid being locked in. So yeah, yeah. as soon as we saw, right, that the snow is good in Diablere, we've got a good day, let's organize and do it. And um, uh, so clearly with the the risk of bringing kids that maybe haven't skied before but the, I think the advantage is that because there's quite a, a substantial number of staff yeah. that come along you always have the ability to then say right that group doesn't can't quite ski down the first part of the other which is quite yeah. tricky so you take those so it, it's a very it, it's a continuous assessment if you, yeah, if yeah. you want to what, what, what the level is yeah. Um, yeah and that's how it works okay yeah and then, are you doing that? Because I know you've got some exceptional, apart from your good self, exceptional skiers on your staff. Yeah. Um, you know, you've got like ex-fist racers and all sorts of stuff. Yeah. You know, in, I don't know whether they're in PE or outdoor aid, but the are you doing all of your ski teaching internally 
or are you bringing in outside instructors to cope with the volume of kids that you have? Yeah, we work together with the Red School, okay. ESS. So yeah. there's a, a team which is always the same and has been the same for a number of years. You know, there's the one or two that might change every year. Yeah. Um, and they're amazing. You know, they're such mm. a good bunch of, of instructors. They're all fully qualified. So there's that guarantee as well mm. of having someone that know what they're doing. Yeah, yeah. They know the kids. They know how the school works. So it's really just... Uh, appendix of, of the department really mm-hmm. and it's solid you can give them kids and without without worrying yeah um it's about i would say maybe half and half 50 percent of uh, stuff from the school and yeah. then 50 percent from ess roughly okay. Yeah. yeah okay and so all right and then so within that half and half you'll split it yeah according to the level and you've got presumably a bunch of because I know that both you and some of the other schools up here you track some actual quite high level kids, yeah. Who can really, really do it. I mean, you guys brought um, you brought some kids to race in a competition that we ran over at La Croze, and one of your guys, one of your young guys, beat the opener. Oh, yeah, you and the yeah. opener was he's also ex fist, right? So, yeah. like, he yeah. can really yeah. ski, <laughs> yeah. Um, but uh, I mean, that was quite quite an eye-opener right to the level of kids that, that, that you guys have got um so you presu- do you have someone then within the program that looks only after those kids who are interested in racing correct right. yeah yeah so there's the standard programs mm-hmm. that every year group take part of it's like a part of p so it's a, it's a mm-hmm. lesson they have to do it yeah but then clearly the kids are want to to develop and move on uh can get into the the racing team mm-hmm. uh, and then they have additional uh, training so afternoons weekends mm-hmm. and and then they go off and do competitions like that yeah. okay so the standard ski program is like you ski each year group skis once a week yeah for a full day yeah from from nine till 12 yeah yeah okay that's a minimum essentially they would do yeah and then there's the sort of there's the race program yeah so that is the same night of twelve, but then there's supplemental stuff that goes goes on around that. So the the so, so if you're in the race team, you still do the standard program first. So you still mm-hmm. go off and do ski lesson like with everyone else. Mm-hmm. So it's not like you've got a different program in those mornings. If yeah, that makes yeah, sense. Yeah. So it's a it's a completely different uh, time that you go out and train. Uh huh. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And then, but if you're in the racing, there's some sort of supplemental yeah. training that you can do. Yeah, exactly. You know, later on in the day or something. Presumably exactly. You can fit it in around your lessons. They, they, they. Yeah, like exactly. It. And I think they've been quite flexible this year. So, uh, again, because I don't look after that, I don't know exactly the schedule. I think they used to go out every Wednesday afternoon, mm-hmm. and then every Saturday and Sunday. So that, yeah, that yeah. would be there. Uh, how much they would add on top of? Yeah. The the normal P lesson. Yeah. Okay. And then, obviously, this winter we haven't had any, but in previous winters, ever since I've been here and it's been going on forever, all of the international schools race against each other. And I would imagine Beausoleil, like some of the other schools here who have got some really good level races, they also go off to other you know, big, you know, big schools' races across the Alps. We haven't had any of that this year, but presumably that would be part of their program as well. Yeah, absolutely. For, for those guys in the race 
race team. Absolutely. I think that was a bit of the difficulty, the challenges here of uh, training, but what do you train for? Because <laughs> there's no competition, so keeping the motivation high yeah. and try to you know, essentially get, get kids involved, get students involved. So, um, But normally, yeah, normally there's, there's a lot of competitions and they travel and that's all part of it, isn't it? So, um, yeah. Yeah, I'm sure we'll be back into that next year. Oh, I hope so. I really hope so. Because they're the fun days, you know. You go to places and different places. Of course. You know what it's like? You ski around the same slopes time after time and, yeah. and the same places. And it's it's nice to go to these places. I think we go with um, we go with Lakote and they, you know, often we're in Gestad, Sun and, you know, wherever, like, wherever the races are, we'll be off to. We wanted to attend a couple in Cran Montana this year as well, which obviously didn't happen. But hopefully, all of these will be back on the menu for next year. It's going to be, um, it's going to be really cool. Yeah, really cool. Well, so, in addition to that, you said there's a whole bunch of other things that are that could be part of their program. Presumably, they can opt into a bunch of these. Yeah. things. So, what what else are you you guys offering them? So, is the is the weekend? The weekend is a big part. Because um, they're boarding students, right? So they exactly, can't go anywhere. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. 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 Uh, and from what I hear in previous years, they had weekends where they could just go out and spend a bit of time by themselves. But clearly, that can happen this year. So yeah, yeah. there was a big uh, push to try and or every weekend having lots of activities organized for them. Mm-hmm. Um, and there's been some amazing, amazing activities. Like I said earlier, you know, we're in heli skiing, yeah, um, skiing different resorts. Clearly, with the magic pass, there's that advantage. Yeah, hop on a bus. And, and you're in Ovrona, you're yeah, yeah. in Anzer, San Luke, we went the other day, we never skied there, amazing oh. resort. Is it? Yeah, such, such a cool little resort. Yeah. Um, so all of that uh, is there. Um, and then, you know, the there's this transition with the, uh, with the outdoor education that also organizes um, expeditions in winter. Mm-hmm. Uh, all around activities like uh, ski touring, mm-hmm. snowshoeing, cross country, uh, ice climbing. So not not strictly skiing related, but still uh, adding uh, skills and yeah. activities for for these kids that are yeah amazing. That's <laughs> so good, isn't it? Yeah, absolutely. that's so good. That's really yeah. good. And how do the how do the kids respond? parts to this how do the kids respond to the the ski program in general yeah you know like the reason I ask this is because I've been hanging around this sort of international schools environment for a while and there's there's different types of kids you know there's some that are sort of not very motivated and there is a certain sort of subset of kids at international schools it's sometimes quite difficult to get through to them yeah um in general, how is the the ski program received by, by yeah. those kids? Yeah, exactly as you as you described it. I think there's a uh, um, there's there's excitement around skiing. I think skiing is probably one of the easiest lesson to run. Yeah, yeah. I would I would imagine um, because you take them out and they're fun and you know they can really have a good time with their friends. Mm. So uh, I think generally speaking, is is perceived well. Um, you know, there's still that challenge in the morning. You know, you meet them at eight, and you know you need to make sure that they've got all the equipment ready. Yeah, yeah. So there's that 
there's that time but once they get into the loop once they understand the routine actually gets a bit easier mm. um, there's, there's definitely a sense that you know throughout the program then uh, you know they get a bit tired as well because they study a lot they're in school they go out so um, maybe the the, the 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 uptake on some of the activities we expected to be more than it actually been yeah um, yeah so it, I think it's it's a challenge everywhere, isn't it? You tr- try to motivate them and find things that they like, but they also get some educational out of it. Mm. So it's quite a fine balance, and uh, to try and find what works and what doesn't. Um, there's clearly always going to be kids that are more keen to do that kind mm. of stuff, either for background they come from or maybe nations they've already experienced that. Mm. Uh, some of the nation where they, like we said earlier, they've never seen snow. Yeah. Yeah, it could yeah. be a challenge to to keep pushing that or vice versa because it's something new they actually keep going so yeah. I, I think it's quite hard to generalize here you know it's very case by case and and I think that's what the school is really good at you know they, they keep trying to uh, reassess and see who needs to do what and what can we put up next weekend to maybe cater for kids that maybe want to do something a bit more mellow or mm-hmm. maybe more challenging um, it's constant I hope you're enjoying this interview with Ali. Um, I really, um, I really enjoyed speaking to him, and I think that comes out in the interview. And it was fascinating actually to hear about another sport, uh, especially something as as kind of unique as as pole vaulting, like how how you get into it and how how the progression is. I can't even imagine doing that myself, but uh, I guess there is a a way of learning it and um, for something so highly specialised. So I thought that was super super interesting. Um, I've had some correspondence uh, again. Uh, this time, this time, Ed writes to me. Um, Ed says, "Thanks for your podcast. Very interesting." I'm fifty five, live in Anzair, and ski a lot. Um, I like particularly how you interview non Brits, such as Damien and Zermatt. Um, criticisms of the podcast is that it should really be called the Ski School Director slash Owner Podcast. There's a lot about how people trained and reached their present lofty position where the clients all seem to belong to a rarefied group of 40 degree off-pistas, mogul monsters, ultra advanced slope monkeys. Um, perhaps all your clients are like that, but I doubt it. Uh, also, skiing bumps as free form jazz, question mark. Uh, despite these reservations, um, I like the podcast and give it a top rating if I knew how. Thanks, Ed. Um, appreciate your correspondence, Ed. Thank you very much for taking the time to write thank you everyone who takes the time to write it's um it's it's kind of it's interesting to me that people will want to listen to this to be honest with you and and that kind of ties into the point about you know who i interview and what kind of level that they are so you know i'm interviewing people just to clarify for for those that haven't heard me say this on previous podcasts but i'm interviewing people who i want to speak to um, and to a certain extent, you, the audience, are just in for the ride. I mean, I choose to publish this, but I would be having these conversations even if I didn't choose to publish this. But I'm, I'm having those conversations with people because I want to learn. And I wanted to get to a place, well, I've, I got myself to a place where I'd kind of, there was no structure for learning new things. And, and to that end, actually, I'm, I'm putting in place something that we talked about on a previous podcast. So I'm going to be putting in place a, um, like a general cpd thing in zermatt in november with a couple of speakers that that won't just be like one nation specific so it'll be um i've got two speakers lined up one swiss and one is irish and and or demonstrators i suppose and we're going to talk about some 
like topics that you would never normally hear, I guess, um, in uh, in a normal kind of professional development um, or refresher or that kind of thing. So we're publishing the details of that soon enough. But um, the purpose really for these podcasts for me was to learn something from people who are better than me. And I just choose to record it and publish it. And, and that's what I'm doing. And therefore, it is important to me to interview these people, you know, mobile experts, slope experts, you know, off-piste experts, all of that kind of thing. And it's, we, we aren't only interviewing full cert people. If you think back to Scott Plever and you think back to um, Richard Featherstone, those guys are not full cert. They're just doing something interesting. And for me, that's um, that's that's important. So that's that's the, you know, the basis on who I interview. And hopefully we'll have a few more non-Brits as well in the next two podcasts because that's definitely the people that I'm trying to trying to get to. Um, skiing bumps is free form jazz. Question mark. Well, you know that's how I think of it. And you know, if you get something out of it, you do. You don't 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 care. Um, right. So then um, we're going to carry on with the interview with. Ali, um, we're going to talk a little bit more about schools and probably the last part of that is about how, how to motivate um, kids. There's, uh, I'm sure I've maybe told the story before that, that you're about to hear, but but there's, there's something in that I think that's particularly relevant to high-end international schools. And then we talk a little bit about um, Ali's personal skiing, what he's working on and how he's transitioning you know, as he, as he sort of gets older, which I think is quite interesting. And then we have a final chat about his business, um, his tour operator business uh, called Alpine Italy. So uh, enjoy this um, second half and I will catch you on the next episode, which will be episode 35. I've seen a couple of instances this yeah, I should, I should I should say this because it's not it, it is something that I've seen and it's I think you shouldn't shy away from semi controversial things but I've seen this winter and from my own experience with one of the football teams that I had a few years ago back at um, one of the other schools it's no secret to say that a lot of if you can afford to come to Beausoleil or, or any of the other in fact any of the international schools here because they're not cheap to, to come to a lot of these kids come from extremely wealthy backgrounds and they they don't really want for anything at all at all and one of the things I've found I don't have to look so apprehensive I don't think this is this controversial one of the things that I've found is how do you motivate a kid who kind of wants for nothing who when he finishes his education probably doesn't have to work for the rest of his life or her, her life whatever how do you get through to kids like that and I had this this exact example with an under 18s football team that I was running for one of the schools and it was like you know they would come to football and they just kind of mess around and we'd go to tournaments or something and get beaten because they didn't really care and I was like look guys I, I, I totally understand what I don't really understand your, your thing, but what is it that we can do together that's going to motivate you, right? What, how can we, how can we do something that's fun? Like it's not fun to go to tournaments, get beaten all the time. Yeah, you know. And the way that we ended up getting through to that football team was like, well, let's see if we can create an atmosphere within the team 
this sort of makes us a bit like um, I don't know what the Italian equivalent is, but the the English equivalent would be like the old Wimbledon team from you know yeah. back in the day, and you get you know, no one like them. They don't care, and they turn up to tournaments and they're the bad guys, and they love that. They absolutely reveled in that image, <laughs> and funny enough, that was the thing that really like motivated them, and turned yeah. them on, and. We had like a golden two years where we would go to all these tournaments and we would be like the bad guys, yeah. like the pirates or whatever. And they were just, they loved it. And they like sort of, they reveled in that kind of sort of, how do you say, like that sort of shithousery, you know, like, like being, you know, ta- bad, you know, semi-bad tackles and like, you know, just yeah. pushing people around and stuff like that. And they loved that. Even though most of these kids would never be in a situation where you know they would have to scrap for anything in their lives, but they really bought into that thing. I've seen it a little bit with sort of skiing sometimes as well. It's like, how do you reach that kid who's just got his iPod on or whatever? He doesn't care about anything. He doesn't have to care. You know? Do, do you? I'm not going to ask you outright whether you ever see any of that, but it's definitely a thing amongst the international schools and you've got to be quite clever psychologically I think about how you how you reach some yeah. of these these kids you know yeah and how you motivate them well Dave I think it's a great question no it's, oh, yeah, it's, a, it's a great question it's a great statement because I think there's so many levels to that and so many layers I think um, I've definitely seen it you know yeah. I've definitely seen it and I think for someone uh, you know I, I've worked a lot with uh, educational programs with the instructors so normally you get people that come yeah and what they want is that and all you need to do is rock up and give them that yeah and the, the, you know the, the interest the motivation comes from them mm. so for me it was definitely a bit of a uh, a switch I had to do and uh, again like a, an extra layer to put in of saying well okay so I know this stuff I know yeah. I can give you quite a bit but sometimes you don't care about it yeah so yeah. How, do, how do we do that yeah um I mean, I, I don't even know if it's because of rich. I think it's just kids in general. I have to it say. could be, yeah. But um, yeah, yeah. Uh, I, I don't really have an answer to be honest. I think the, uh, I I'm, think it sometimes you win, sometimes you lose. Yeah. Sometimes you're really on top of it because you really okay. Today I'm gonna make a difference. Other times I lose because you know I'm a bit tired. So yeah. it's it's definitely a good good challenge, and it makes you really appreciate when you have those good days because then. Mm. You know, you've, you've gone through. I think it's a bit of what, touching upon what we were talking about earlier before the uh, the podcast was this idea of, you know, um, holistic approach of giving young adults a lot of different opportunities yes. uh, without yes. going too much into depth uh, or just nail on one thing and bore them to death until they become really good at it. You know, and definitely my background is more the latter. So yeah. I used to be like told, do this, do this, do this. And I remember having terrible days and hating it. Mm. Whereas now the, the culture, the, 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 you know, the science says actually probably that was not the right way to do it. Yeah, so yeah, yeah. I think, you know, uh, the, knowing that by doing lots of different things and by them experiencing, you're still giving them education that's still going to be helpful even if they're not going to be ski instructors or skiers but they go off and become CEO of big companies that experience will actually help them to become better CEOs or whatever they do in a way makes you think okay I'm I'm making a difference here Mm. Um, but it's it's definitely a big challenge it's it's one of the biggest challenges I find actually in in the school for sure we'll come back to that um, that point about specialisation because I think it is 
it was a good chat we had, and it should it should go on here. But the the other thing, I, I wonder if you see the same thing. I'm projecting a bit because I don't know whether this is a real thing or not, or whether you've done this or not. But presumably you were in you were in Verbia, you're working for Newgen, so you must have had your fair share of experience with running a GAP program as well, right? Yeah, that's right. And I imagine not all of the people. Is my generalisation of young people not all of the gen all of the, the 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 gappies who would have been on that course were going to take that ski instructor qualification and go on and carry on within the industry, right? Yeah. So presumably, you know, that would be the same the same thing. How do you motivate those people? Yeah. To kind of get out of bed in the morning and, and not be hung over every single day, you know, to come and learn something. I guess. Yeah. As part of their program. Yeah, I think I think with the with the gap course, you're absolutely right. Especially the gap course level one and level two in some resorts. There's definitely uh, kids that know they're not going to pursue that path and they're going to go off yeah. to uni. So the motivation is is a bit lacking. I think the difference is they that's what they're there for. That's the only thing they mm. have to do yeah. uh, in those months. <laughs> yeah. And they have uh, an exam, which is a pass or fail at the end. Mm. So there's a bit of that pending on their head. So even the one that are a bit more slacky, they always think, oh, but do I want to fail? You know. Yeah, so there's yeah. still that kind of motivation for them. And also it's the time you spend with them. Mm. You know, when you run a gap course, when I used to run gap course here, so Nanda, I spent a lot of time. You have so much contact with those people that you can really make a difference. I think they, uh, when you can transfer that passion they feed off don't mm. they so eventually they they also get on board whereas I think with, with a school environment the it's a bit more limited the, the amount of time you have with each individual student yeah, sometimes you're seeing them once a week right? you see them once a week yeah. and there's a lot of students you see and sometimes is you know especially with the younger one is there's a lot of group management mm. more than actually mm. transfer skills yes so, yeah. so uh, I think it's that it's the time you spend and actually Talking about the time, I can see a big difference between when I started, when I didn't know any kids, and and now the the end of last term, when now I recognize them, they know who I am. Yeah, yeah. Uh, you know, you laugh in the corridor, and then you start to establish a, a relationship, and mm. that that helps massively. So, yeah. you know, a tip for me going back is like try to get them, yeah. to know them as quick as you can. Yeah, Because yeah. then you're gonna have an impact as quick as you can. It's fine. Yeah, you're right. Actually, because I've I've had. I've spent a long time at one of the international schools down by the lake and, and I've now got kids that I've known for a decade. You know, like I've seen them grow up, you know, and they're they're leaving, they're going yeah. to university. And I'm like, well, one, where did that time go? <laughs> but secondly, it's amazing. Like, it's quite emotional to see them uh, grow up and become, like, actually really nice people. You know, yeah. Wow, like... I knew you when you were seven, like, and you're a, you're a man now, almost, and you're about to head off to university, and you've turned into a really, really nice kid, uh, nice, nice adult, in fact, and that's really, really rewarding, you know, and, and part of that, I think, will come to you as you, as you stay there longer and longer and longer, right, you'll, you'll get to know them, the ones that stay, that aren't, that aren't, you know, three or four years in one place, it's, it's really cool. Yeah, absolutely. It's really, really cool, and that, and you, and then you do come to the places where you can transmit those kind of magical moments, you know, like where you give someone a bit of advice that will stay with them forever. 
you know, that does happen occasionally, and they'll be like, you know, you won't know you've said it necessarily, but it might stay with them yeah. forever. You do it like, yeah, it's it's so nice to see those things. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. Yeah. Oh, that's good. Cool. But that does. Let, we should touch on that thing that we were talking about earlier about um, uh, early specialization in sport, um, because the book that you said that you'd read was something called Range with David Epstein. I haven't, I haven't read it actually. Okay. No, I haven't read it yet. You're starting it. No, no, I haven't <laughs> even started. Okay. Uh, yeah, but it, it just came into this conversation I had yesterday um, with a person, and it was, uh, yeah, is the relate which made me think about our interview today because I thought that really relates a bit to like yeah. education and kids. So is this idea, um, you know, there, there was a previous book which is called Outliers, which is the one, you know, the story of success. And, you know, the yeah, famous 10, statement of 10,000 yeah. hours, yeah. um, which, which I've always really believed in that. I think yeah. it was always something, oh, yeah, you definitely need to do that. Yeah. Uh, but now it seems that, that has, it's different now, <laughs> or at least for some sports. And this book, Range, which I will read and then I'll tell you about. Yeah, okay. <laughs> <laughs> it's actually the, it's why uh, generalists triumph in a specialized war- world, you know? Yes. So is this idea like do loads of different things uh, as, a, as a kid or pre-teenage years, mm. and that will then help you uh, when you specialize to have a much broader set of skills to become yeah. really good at something yeah and one one statement actually i was looking at this interview between the two guys debating the, the, the different views on it mm. one of the thing i uh, actually made me think is uh, when you are uh playing tennis it made the example of roger federer so yeah. roger federer as a as a kid did loads of different sports not very well apparently yeah, yeah. and i was telling you earlier uh, he wants to play tennis but apparently his mum said, oh, no, no, just go I skiing today. Rubbish. Uh, yeah. <laughs> it made me laugh. Yeah. Uh, but they say, if you specialise too young and mm. uh, you play tennis uh, like an adult would do, it's actually a different sport when you're an adult. So there's no point in specialising too soon because actually to win a game when you're older is a completely different game. So you're actually becoming really good at something that's not going to be the same when you're older. Oh, really? So I, I thought, yeah, I, I reacted exactly. Yeah. Oh, that's really interesting. It was making the example of you know when you to win when you're a teenager is more about um, the person that doesn't make a foul win yeah. the, the point. Whereas when you're a, a pro, I don't play tennis, so I've got no, no idea. Yeah. But when you're a pro, it's about you attacking, wanting to make the point. So that was an example yeah, yeah. of how the the tactic of the game changes. So um, it's mm. the risk of specializing is that that you become yeah focused on something that actually is not going to be the same later on. Anyway, now I'm thinking I'm going something too technical, which I've got absolutely no uh, knowledge about. But I think... Well, I'll tell you the reason why yeah. I think this is really interesting. And you will have seen it with all the ski club kids up in Villa, and it happens all over the Alps. And it happens with non-Alpine sport. Is that here in Switzerland, they, they, they do kind of de facto push kids into that kind of specialisation early. Because if you join a football club, say, um, you have three trainings a week from a certain age and a match on Saturday. And there's no time for having a broad spread of sports. Because all of the clubs demand so much of you 
the ski clubs do it as well, right? You train Saturday, Wednesday afternoon. That's right. Maybe you train Sunday as well. And you're up there all the time. And when you're not doing that, when you reach kind of uh, 12, 13, 14, you're in the gym as well. And they don't allow you to have that broad spread of things to do. Otherwise, something's got to give, right? It's either your schoolwork or one of the sports. You know, you, you, they, you end up really, they filter you into something. Here. Yeah. I don't know whether you've seen that or indeed whether it was the same when you were growing up. Yeah. I mean, like I said, I'm, I'm no expert in the subject, so I'm pro- probably someone listening thinking, oh my God, what is the same? But I think even within the sports, you can be um, specializing or being a bit more general. You know, it, the example we were making earlier, if you only do giant slalom and that's all you do without deviating and do a bit of bumps one day, mm. a bit of powder when the powder is good, that is focusing on probably just one set of skill. Whereas if you're, you're still skiing, but you're doing lots of different things, mm that's developing skills so within a sport I think you can have that broadness mm. of of that um, experience I think for me as a kid uh, yeah I played loads of different sports but then as soon as I started with athletics pole that's all I did what age was that? I started at uh, 14 14 yeah 14 okay. years old yeah and definitely my coach at the time uh, was a big believer of that methodology also, because pole vault is a bit of, um, you know, the, the big pole vaults at the time were the Russians. Okay. And they brought that culture in. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Very yeah, much yeah, about sure. repetition, repetition, repetition. Yeah, yeah. Uh, which, you know, can, can be t- tiring mentally for, mm. yeah, for young young people. Um, I think we were, we were slightly talking about this too, weren't we? We were talking about, we talked about my daughter, weren't we? And, and like skiing. And as a parent, not trying to push... My personal belief, this is this is not, you know, not all parents are built the same, but my personal belief, I've been around kids for a long time now, but my personal belief is that it's got, whatever it is that your kid does has to come from within the kid. Same thing that we were talking about, about motivating, uh, I guess, students at your school, right? Yeah. That you can't put your hopes and wishes and dreams onto them. I don't think that's fair. I, I, I believe really parenting is about, and maybe it's the same philosophy if you're working in an international school, it's just about providing the opportunity for kids to try stuff. It seems to be a little bit about, you know, it seems to be what you guys are doing. And then eventually a kid may or may not hit upon something that, that really speaks to them. And then after that... It's up to them to kind of take it on, isn't it? You know, Absolutely, but I, th- I, I, I do believe though the, the responsibility. There's definitely a responsibility in the teacher or us, because mm. if we have that good day where we're really inspiring, yeah, yeah, then that might trigger yes. something. Yes. So I, I don't think that if uh, you know, if you just let them do and mm. don't have any effect, something's gonna happen. You know, I think the reality is if you don't have an in- input. Then they might just go back and be on the yeah, phone. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The phone. Bananas. The phone. Ah, <laughs> <laughs> uh, cool. Let us segue slightly away from our uh, philosophy um, to do with kids. So I, I'm going to. I sprung this on you because I haven't mentioned it in the thing that we can talk about. But in in your, you said to me earlier because I found it quite interesting that when you were younger, 
you're all about putting a ski on an edge and slamming it into the ground and being powerful and stuff like how as you have got older not that old but like you know like how has your how's your skiing changed or what are you thinking about are you thinking about anything now that you're you're sort of moving away from power and edge angles <laughs> are you i don't know yeah, Tell yeah. Me. no no for sure i mean uh, i'm trying very hard to try and uh be a bit more technical uh about my skiing so i'm definitely trying harder uh hard to to uh, keep on my skiing by being a bit more refined in some of the movements you know sometimes when you're younger a bit stronger you can get away by by doing some hard movement and you know still looks good and still yeah, efficient yeah. still works whereas I think uh, you know like naturally it's not that I'm old but you know when you get older you, you definitely lose a little bit of that bravery as well so yeah. so you want to make sure that everything works a bit better underneath your feet and uh, you know I'm a bit obsessive in that sense I think again it comes probably back from my background as, as training it you know I really like to understand the movement I really like to, to repeat it and um and every so, day, you know, it's a yeah. bit of a curse when you go out and you can't enjoy skiing because you always think, you know, where am I? Am I on my heel? Am I in the middle? I'm sure you've got to say. bananas. It's like that inner voice in your head. It's <laughs> yeah. just awful. Every turn, you're like, oh, that was a good one. Oh, that was a bad one. Oh, you could have done that better. It's, oh, shut up. <laughs> yeah, yeah. What are you talking then in terms of precision of movement? So you, you give me an example of of something that you're working to be more precise mm. on? Well, I, I, I'm, like I said earlier, my, my constant battle with uh, with bumps, uh, or even short turns, you know, I, I really like long turns. I think that's what comes quite naturally to mm-hmm. me. Um, I don't know, it just seems that that movement is, is I can do it, and, and it, it works most of the time. Yeah. Whereas short turns is something I go, I was like, right, okay, let's think about this. So, and you try different things, don't you? You yeah. know, there's a moment where you, th- you see something, you read something, or you, and you think, okay, let's try that movement, and it works for a while on certain type of snow, mm. with certain type of ski, with a certain type of steepness, mm. uh, and then it doesn't work anymore, yeah. so you're like, <laughs> yeah. hey, okay, let's start again with a different type of movement. Mm. Um, yeah, we are going too much into specific, but that's definitely something I keep looking at, keep trying. Um, and I, I love also going out with friends and people I, I know and trust and say, oh, can you have a look at me? What do you think of this? Mm. And, you know, come up for, with something to work on. Um, no, I still love that. I still really, really would like to ski well <laughs> and try really hard. Uh, yeah. Are you? Did you say to me earlier that you're more now interested in bumps and off-piste skiing? than maybe piece performance stuff are you, are you heading in that direction uh i really like both i really like both but i think a powder is unbeatable isn't it yeah um, get it right the right day the right day the right people it's it's absolutely amazing so um i really like the the variety of movements the randomness of some of the movements the um and i've definitely changed in the years you know i used to only love uh, hard pack and mm. carving as hard as you can. Yeah. Whereas maybe I'm going towards that holistic thing. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> but uh, I really like to enjoy a bit of bit of everything. I had an amazing 
powder day the other day with a friend of mine in um, uh, Champilac. Alright. Uh, one of the best. Oh, Champilac. Champ- yeah, yeah. Champilac. Yeah, yeah, it's beautiful up there. Yeah. I haven't skied it, but it's no, beautiful. Not. Yeah, little secret spot there. Yeah, yeah. That's a one real... chairlift. Yeah. Tree skiing. Mm. Fantastic day. Yeah, don't tell anyone about that, please. <laughs> yeah, don't tell anyone. <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, oh, cool. Yeah. What's your go-to ski for an off-piece day? Around here, what plate? Well, yeah, you, it's tough to have big fat Alaska skis around here, isn't it? We're too low, really. To, yeah. To to kind of, I, I don't know. I'm, I'm curious to know because I asked a couple of people this question, and and I don't, I can't, I don't get on at all with like really mega fat skis. So I just bought, you know, as my general ski instructor ski, I just bought one that's like seventy four mil underfoot. And for yeah. me, it feels massive. Does it? <laughs> yeah, yeah. I'm like, wow, these are like boats, you know, like a really, I could go off piste on these. But like, what, what, what do you ski when you you go on a what type of ski? Powder day? ski? Yeah, what's your? I've got so actually, I've got a massive one, which is a full call two skis. It's called, and right. it's uh, one nine six. Wow. Length and it's hundred and twenty underfoot. So oh, that's huge. like a water ski. It's huge. It's massive. And uh, I've, I only take it out maybe once or twice a year. But this year, yeah. you know, the la- latest dump we've had in March. That was ridiculous. I've, that I've used it three yeah. days in a row. And it was spectacular. Yeah, yeah. Absolutely amazing. And it's kind of got this double rocker. So the yeah. actual ski that touches the ground is not very Yeah, it's like snow blade. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So it's pretty agile even uh, in the forest, in the ski, in the trees. Oh, and I cool. uh, really enjoy that one. Also got um, uh, more like a ski touring setup. But it's a head core ninety nine underfoot one eighty length. Yeah. So something a little bit shorter, really nice. In more like uh, unprepared piece of in crudded and kind of variable terrain. Yeah. Really like that one as well. So a lot of people ski that ski. The, it's the really core. popular. Yeah. Mm. Yeah, I think I've ordered one for next year. The eighty, eighty something, eighty nine maybe. That will do me like as a you know for the Port de Soleil. Yeah, it's never that deep, you know. Like, <laughs> you don't need anything bigger than that. Well, I don't anyway for what I do. But um, oh, that's cool. That's really cool. So, lastly, then tell me about your business Alpine Italy. What What are you doing with that? So Alpine Italy, we uh, started it nine years ago, okay. and it's a uh, we take British clients skiing in, we started in the Dolomites yeah and the the objective was let's just have a really chilled fun week where we show British client what Italy is about okay so no t- no teaching yeah just guiding have really nice lunch bit of wine oh it sounds brilliant <laughs> where, where can I sign up yeah <laughs> yeah and uh, that's how we started. So it was, uh, it was me and Dave Morris. Yeah. Um, he's got an Italian wife. Yeah. Clearly, I've, I'm Italian, so I've got that link. And we said, oh, let's, let's just go to Dolomites. We both love the area. Um, so we started based in Col Fosco, which is between Corvara and Selva di Val Gardena, around the Sella Ronda. I don't know if you've ever skied I, around that no, area. No, it's on the list. It's, it's a beautiful, huge area. And that's where we started. So we used this hotel and now we know we've used it for nine years and we've had people coming back year after year after year. It just grew from there, you know, it just yeah. grew a word of mouth. So from there we started to run weeks also in Cervinia. With the that, same, same my favourite. Do you like that? It's my favourite. Yeah. Like everything is perfect <laughs> for me. Like, 
There's something about Chavinia about the steepness of the pieces. It's just, like you can carve literally everywhere, can't yeah, you? Absolutely. And it's just epic. It's so big. Those little orange trees. Oh, it's my favourite place on earth. Absolutely. Yeah. No. It's so I, good. I love it too, and it's. Uh, sorry, go on, carry on. No, 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 no. Yeah. Sorry, I'm, I'm. But yeah, so we just added a few destinations mm. from there. Uh, we started to go to Courmayeur, Pila, um, Champolux. So we did oh, cool. um, a few more weeks. But that the, the 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 ethos, you know, if you like the the idea behind it, always that you know, let's try and and show people what Italy is about and what the skiing in Italy is about. Then we kind of veered towards also be more like training weeks because mm. lots of people were asking that, especially in pre-season. So November we go to Cervini as well, mm-hmm. running camps oh, cool. for people who just want to develop skills. Mm. Um, and uh, and that's it. So it, it kind of organically grew. Uh, it's not big, you know, it's, it's a tiny business. Clearly we had a stop last winter, but we were planning to started again um yeah next winter wow (laughs) how are you gonna fit all that in with your uh with Beausoleil yeah well I probably won't be going on to this uh trips you won't be doing all of them no we won't be but we work with instructors that we worked for many years uh maybe during the holidays I can hop on one or two if I can so we'll see oh wow that sounds awesome it's like the best of... Come along, David. Yeah, I will. I'm going to get yourself a, another client. That's awesome. Um, okay, so we'll finish off. Give yourself a plug. Like, How can how can people find you or Alpine Italy? Like, how, how do, uh, you know, if, if people want to get in touch with you, how can they do so? Ah, oh, thanks for that. Yeah, well, Alpine Italy is... Uh, we've got a website, so alpineitaly.co.uk. Okay. You can look at all the information there. We're about to update our new trips um, so you'll see the trips for next next winter and awesome. there's all email address and so on and so forth over there so yeah if you want to get in touch please do we will do it's awesome if you've got room for like a slow crap telemark skier I doubt it <laughs> <laughs> I'll be there oh uh, cool well look thank you so much for taking the time thank you Dave it's lovely to chat with you I could chat with you for hours lovely. we'll come and do it we're going to do another one lovely sure. chat thank really you very much cool. Dave thank you